0: And as some of our best and brightest men of their time, these men suffered. You have 75 years to study their lives, you you learn a lot. And these men suffered from various issues, including alcoholism, depression, broken families. And yet, sifting through the data and research on the lives of these 268 men, this man by the name of George Valiant, who oversaw the study for decades, concluded after all these years, that healthy relationships with family and friends are the single most important variable that contribute to a person's happiness. Welcome to Reliable Truth with best-selling author Richard E. Simmons III. And now your host, Richard E. Simmons III. Last week, we started on the book of Galatians, and we looked at the first nine verses. Uh, I spent a good bit of the time on an introduction, and I just want to make a a comment or two just to kind of, if you weren't here, just to kind of bring you up to speed on uh, what we talked about. Uh, One of the things we said was that, you know, Paul uh, was a missionary, and he was also a church planter, and he planted churches uh, throughout the, the... really the whole middle, kind of the Middle East there, uh, including in Rome. But uh, initially, you know, there are a number of towns, he he plants a church. And if you'll notice, he starts by talking about to the Galatian churches, all the churches of Galatia, he says in verse two. And you see that Paul is not real happy. (laughs) He's kind of irritated. And in verse six, he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. For a different gospel which is really not another only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ and as we said uh, many of the Jews who were now converted Christians were telling all these Gentiles who had become Christians you need to follow the Jewish ceremonial laws if you truly want to be a believer if you truly want to be received by God and by doing this Paul says you've distorted the gospel And he says, and look how mad, he says, the one who does this, he should be accursed. So he's not a happy camper. Now this morning, we're going to spend the entire time considering verse 10. Considering Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Think about what this is all about. This is a a big issue, guys. Um, Am I living my life to please mankind, to win mankind's approval, to impress the world that we live in, or am I living for the approval of God? I can't do both. He makes that real clear. You cannot truly live to please and approve Christ and live to win the approval of man at the same time. One has to, basically, be above the other. And he says it real clear, you can't do both. You cannot do both. But you see this issue throughout the Scripture. And it shouldn't be surprising because I think this is a timeless problem that we have as human beings. For instance, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. And listen to what he says in verse 5. But they do all of their deeds to be noticed by men. Think about that. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men. Jesus talks about this in the uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about praying, and he talks about fasting. He he talks about giving money. He says most people do it to be noticed by men, to receive men's praise. He says do it in secret. But isn't it interesting, guys, how we let other people have such an influence on how we live our lives? Now, let me just stop and make this comment. I'm going to say, I'm going to spend a few minutes on this and I'll stop and see if you have a comment. Um, But I think we would all agree that the people in our lives, the people we have close relationships with, are important. In fact, relationships are the substance of life. I think we would all agree with that, but I, want you to, I think it's a good uh, question to ponder. But why are we relational? Why do human beings struggle with loneliness? Why is that? We were meant to be with other people. We were meant to be, with other people. We were meant to be relational. And we were meant to be relational by who? By God. In fact, that's why He put us here. That's why this little book here, The Reason for Life, why did God put me here? He put me here to be in relationship with Him. As the Westminster Confession says, to enjoy Him forever. But I think it's a good question to ask, if God is relational, who was He in relationship with before we came along? Yeah, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have been in relationship throughout eternity. <clears throat> and in fact, you see this relationship in Jesus' life. In, in Luke 4.1 it says, you know, when Jesus is going out into the wilderness for 40 days. It says he's led out into the wilderness for 40 days by the Holy Spirit. So they were, I'm sure, relating to one another over that 40-day period. Um, How often does it say, before while it was still dark, Jesus would get up and go out and pray. Well, who would he pray to? Who would he talk to? Clearly God the Father. In fact, if you want to read a really good prayer, between Jesus and God the Father go read Matthew uh, excuse me John 17 it's the high priestly prayer it's the prayer between Jesus and his father just before he's taken and crucified and he starts off in John 17:1 by saying father The hour has come, glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee. He calls him Father. He's talking to the Father. So guys, we are relational beings, and God designed us to thrive on relationships with others. In fact, Philip Zimbardo, he's the famous uh, Stanford psychologist. He says... I know of no more potent killer than isolation. He says, there is no more destructive influence on physical and mental health. There's no more destructive influence on physical and mental health than the isolation of you from me and us from them. So this is so important as far as our mental health and our well-being. <clears throat> but, well, not but, but, but think about this. Um, do you remember, I, I wrote about this um, in the Wisdom book, which I wrote, came out five or six years ago. Do any of you guys remember the Grant study? Does that, does that ring a bell, the Grant study? Um, <clears throat> in, in the late 1930s, a group of 268 young men, including John F. Kennedy, our former president, and Ben Bradley, who eventually became the editor of the Washington Post, <clears throat> and 266 other men entered into Harvard as freshmen. And they were these were highly intelligent, very affluent, uh, very ambitious young men, they're all men. And they were freshmen and obviously Uh, One of the world's most highly acclaimed universities, yet they were not really ordinary in that this specially chosen group was asked to be subject to one of the century's most fascinating longitudinal study. Are you familiar with a longitudinal study? It's where you study a group of people, but you don't just study them for a month or two. You study their lives for years and they were offered and accepted into this academic study as sophomores to be observed now today members still living and i i'll have to say this i'm not sure there are any still left living because it's been 75 years since they started and so they were if you think about it, they were sophomores so they'd be in their mid 90s probably now and i probably there probably is a, maybe one or two still alive The results from the study known as the Grant study have become well known across the world in our pursuit to understand what makes human beings happy. And as some of our best and brightest men of their time, these men suffered. You have 75 years to study their lives, you you learn a lot. And these men suffered from various issues, including alcoholism depression, broken families, and yet sifting through the data and research on the lives of these 268 men, this man by the name of George Valiant, who oversaw the study for decades, concluded, after all these years, that healthy relationships with family and friends are the single most important variable that contribute to a person's happiness. Does that surprise you? In fact, I, I did a little research on it, really on valiant, and uh, just recently. And in what I read, he concluded this: <clears throat> the foundation of happiness is love. That's what he said. Now, again, is that surprising? Yeah, this is very biblical. This is clearly what the Bible states about the significance of love. And I don't know anybody would disagree with this. However, and this is kind of where we're going this morning, isn't it amazing how people's presence in our lives can also mess us up, particularly if we're trying, to do what Paul talks about in Galatians 1.10. If we're living our lives to win the approval of others. In a blog that I wrote back, I realize I'm giving you a lot of my material, but you know, uh, it's, it's, it's very pertinent to, to Galatians 1.10. Um, I wrote a blog back in 2019 And I'm just gonna share a few words from the blog. Have you ever thought about how profoundly our lives are shaped by the presence of the people in our lives? Recently, I was speaking to a group of men about pride and arrogance. You may have been part of that group. I posed this question. If you lived on a desert island all by yourself, do you think you would struggle with pride? You'd have all the comforts and amenities of life, you'd just be all alone. And as they pondered, and maybe as you think about, this, about that this morning, I think you have to kind of conclude that pride and arrogance would probably not be a huge issue. Think about it. There'd be nobody to compare yourself with. You wouldn't be comparing your children with other children, which happens so often. There'd be no one to compete with. There'd be nobody to impress. Envy and jealousy would just vanish because there'd be nobody to be jealous of. And most significantly, you would not be worried about what people thought about you. Let's face it, guys. So many of the struggles of life would go away. It was Voltaire who said, we are rarely proud when we're all alone. In fact, somebody in the study yesterday brought up, and we discussed this, um, you know, prisons, you know, they used to put the most violent prisoners in solitary confinement. They have quit doing that pretty much because people go mad. They go crazy when they live in isolation like that. All right, guys, think about this issue. Think about the issue of seeking the favor of men. I've spent the last 25 or so years trying to understand men and how they see their lives in relation to other men. And I'm going to put something up on the board, and you guys that are uh, on Zoom, I I will try to make it where you can see it, even though you probably, I don't know how well you'll be able to see it, but I will uh, make sure that you know what I'm writing down. All right? So... um, We'll start here with a circle, and I'm just going to put men in here, and then we've got four lines that extend out here, and you're going to see how all of these really kind of intersect with one another. I know I'm not very good at writing, so just bear with me here. Um, and first, we're talking about what the issue that we're that's what we're talking about uh, winning. man's approval. Seeking to impress the world. Then you've got the issue of, and this is big, comparison. And we're gonna touch on each of these uh, during the course of the study. Then you've got the problem of envy and jealousy. And then finally, and this is really an interesting one, pleasure when others fail. Or I guess you could say disappointment when others flourish. That ever happened to any of you? You gotten pleasure when you see somebody, or have you ever somebody gives you some bad news about something that didn't go well with for them, and you say, "Man, I'm so sorry," but really deep down, you're not sorry. That's never happened to any of you guys. No. Okay, we we see some, <laughs> heads are starting to shake. Yeah, yeah. This is this is all real, guys. Um, And the problem, or one of the problems, is that generally, most men are not aware that any of this is going on in their lives. Remember, that's what C.S. Lewis says, why pride is so deadly. The reason it's so deadly, he says, is because we don't have a problem. We can see it in other people. We just have a hard time seeing it in our own lives. But I I will say, I do find, and we had an interesting conversation about this yesterday. I do find that when I personally am growing spiritually, God will often convict me and show me of this sin. In fact, I think a good way for us to see and recognize our sin is to remember what we're told in Hebrews 4 about the word of god i'm sure you're familiar with this it says for the word of god is living and active it's sharper than any two-edged sword you know that scripture and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and god's word is able to judge and reveal the thoughts and the intentions of the heart So that's good reason for us to be in God's, one of the many good reasons to be in God's Word because it kind of acts as a mirror to help us see ourselves. And we need to be able to see ourselves because we're so often blind, particularly to our sin. That's why we're told, uh, and I think a great prayer is to pray, you know, Lord, show me the logs in my life. Remember Jesus says, why is it that you see the speck in your brother? You just don't see the logs in your own life. Pray and ask God to show you the logs in your life because he will. And usually it's not pretty. But it's good. It's good to see. It's good to know. But you need to hear this. As we look at this board, I believe what you see up on the board uh, is a source of discontentment in the lives of so many men. It leads to discontentment and unhappiness. It reminds me of those those words of John Cheever, I've shared them before. He's the famous Pulitzer Prize winning American author. He says, the main emotion of the adult American who has had all the advantages of wealth, education and culture is a life of disappointment, a life of discontentment. So. Think about these words up on the board, guys. <clears throat> what I've just shared—is this something that we struggle with? Uh, I'm not asking you for an answer. I'm just guessing, and i i think that this is this is present. Uh, fortunately, I think as we get older, it's not as much—it's not as bad of an issue. But it's still there, and this reminds me of what uh, Isaiah says. <clears throat> when he asked a great question in Isaiah 2.22, he says, Why do you have such high regard for man whose breath of life is in his nostrils? Isn't that interesting? Why should he be esteemed? If you think about what he's saying, he's asking the question, why? <clears throat> Do we place so much emphasis? Why is it so important to be highly regarded by mankind? When he, when he says, then he says, when whose when, when breath is, he says his breath of life is in his nostrils. What is he saying there? He's saying, you're talking about finite man, instead of giving consideration to the infinite God. Somebody pointed this out yesterday in Psalm 146. It says, do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. Salvation is found only in the Lord himself. And so I'd like for us to think about this in the balance of our time. about this desire to win man's approval and why is it so important? And there's really interest. this is really interesting um, and this kind of goes back to what Don said a minute ago. There's often a, a real fear behind all of this. Fear is the underlying motive. Fear of not measuring up in the eyes of others. Fear of failing. Fear of what other people think. And this reminds me of this famous interview. Um, I don't know if you remember. I think I wrote about this in my the book on humility. But it's this famous interview that Madonna gave, I believe in Vanity Fair magazine. It may have been Cosmopolitan, I'm not sure. But listen to her words. I mean, this is a famous rock star. She says, my desire in life comes from fear. My drive in life comes from fear of being mediocre. Listen to this. In the eyes of other people. She says, that fear is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, as a rock star, famous, famous. But then I feel I'm still mediocre, unless I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have this fear that I have to prove I am somebody. And my struggle, my fear, has never ended. And I guess it never will. Guys, I'm not sure that we realize how we are motivated by fear. And again, this is part of the human condition. And you see it throughout history. You see it throughout biblical history. Let me give you a couple of examples. I don't know how familiar you are with the story of of Saul. Remember the, the Jews wanted a king. And, God gave them a king and that first king was Saul and of course he was followed by David. But Saul, basically God communicated to Saul through the godly prophet Samuel. And um, in 1 Samuel 15 you read about the Amalekites, who are great enemy of Israel and they just wanted to wipe out all of the Jews and do away with all the covenants of God. They were evil, violent people. And God tells Samuel, you're going to have a battle with them. And He tells Samuel to tell Saul to go and I want you to wipe them out. I want you to destroy everything, including all of their all of their material possessions, all of the animals they have. And so they go into war and Samuel doesn't do what God says. He spares the king of the Amalekites, And they keep all of the best, the sheep and the oxen and the lambs, all that was good and bad, they kept them for themselves. And Samuel comes to Saul and confronts him and says, you have rejected the word of the Lord. <clears throat> and listen to what Saul says. He said, yes, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words. And then he, said, then he gives him the excuse that he has. I did this because I feared the people and I listened to their voice. He says, this is what my people wanted. And so I wonder how often we do the same. We don't honor God. We don't stand up for Him because we fear the people. Another great example of this is in the book of John. In fact, let's turn to John 12, if you would. In one of the most significant events... In the New Testament when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and if you'll recall he did not do this in a vacuum in other words there was a big crowd of people there they were there to grieve with Martha and Mary and of course Jesus comes up he says move the stone he says Lazarus come forth And Lazarus comes stumbling out with the, you know, the the grave clothes all over him, but he's alive. And what an incredible event that was, and I don't know if you remember, but there were three different responses of the people that witnessed it. There were those that became believers because of it. Then there were those who went to the religious authorities to tell them, you're not going to believe what's just happened. And I've often thought that you would think that these religious leaders, these Jews, who were looking for their coming Messiah, and of course word had gotten out that Jesus might be this Messiah, you might think that he raised somebody from the dead? Let's go check this. Maybe he is the Messiah. But they didn't do that. What did they do? They said, we've got to get rid of this guy. If we don't, we're going to... it was a fear. Because if we don't do this, we're going to lose all of our power with the Romans. And everybody's going to follow Him. They were motivated by fear. But then you got a third group. And we see that third group in John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Wow. Again, it says, you see the word fear in there. They feared being put out of the synagogue. The truth didn't really matter. (laughs) They were ruled by fear. And it says very clearly... They love the approval of men more than they love the approval of God. Guys, are we guilty of this in any way? You know, I know as a Christian in my early years as a believer, um, I I think I I really struggle with this. And then one day I read a verse that I think really kind of helped me a lot. It really challenged me. I'm just going to read it to you real quick. It's in... um, It's in Mark chapter 8, and it's verse 38. And Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That really challenged me and it made me realize for me personally i'll just gonna just take a minute and just share this thought Uh, that whether i liked it or not i felt like god wanted me to be evangelical as a christian and really what i mean by that is i've realized that he wanted me to help other men who didn't know christ to come to that relationship and i was kind of uncomfortable with that for a while And I think I was uncomfortable with it because I thought, you know, what are people going to think about me? And over time, I I began to realize that, one, it's the most compassionate thing I can do with others. But I also realized that to be evangelical, if you want to be effective, you have to do it wisely. That's why Paul says, in fact... I know I've shared this with you before, um, and I'm not being critical, I'm not. I'm just kind of just sharing you my thoughts on this. But I think I may have told you that this friend of mine, his name was Dale Cutlett, he called me um, once and said, Richard, we're headed down to New Orleans for Mardi Gras to do street evangelism. Why don't you come with us? And I said, Dale? I can't think of anything I'd rather not do. Because what I've really, for me personally, what I've, I've learned is what Paul says in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. He says, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, those outside the faith. Let your speech be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you know how to respond to each person. And I think that's the key is Being wise as we reach out to people. I think by doing that, we can be really effective in the lives of others. Now, there's one final character in the Bible um, who I think operated out of fear, and I don't know that we think about this. Let me see. Um, But think about Pilate. Think about Pilate. You remember what happened with him as Jesus stood before him? Several times he tells the Jewish people who are demanding that Christ be crucified, he says, there is no guilt in this man. There's nothing that he's done that should cause him to receive the punishment of death. But why did he give in? (laughs) Why did he give in? I think he feared the people. Remember, his wife even says, don't have anything to do with this guy. She had a dream about him. And it says in Mark 15, 15, he sought to satisfy the people. One of the translations says he sought to pacify the people. In the King James, it says he wanted to, to to get them to be content because they were upset. But in Luke 23, we finally see what happens. He caves. But listen to this, in Luke 23, verse 22, it says, this is Pilate talking, he said to them, for the third time, why, what evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. I'll therefore punish him, I'll flog him, and then I'll release him. This was the most powerful man in this region of the world, and yet he gave in to their demands because pleasing them ultimately, winning their approval, was more important than doing what is just and what is right. Now, going back to the board, Think about these issues. We've been talking about the approval. Think about the issue of comparison, guys. This is at the heart of so many people's struggles. I don't know if you remember uh, Mark Gentilette quoting this guy Jonathan Haidt, H a i H a i d t. He's a very, very fine journalist. He's a secular journalist, but he's, he's, I'm a big fan of his. And he wrote a significant article in the Atlantic Magazine that's gotten a lot of attention. And he writes about adolescent girls who are really struggling because of social media. he says they are suffering on a massive scale. He says something terrible has happened to Generation Z. And these are his words, social media has heightened young girls' self-consciousness about their changing body and amplifies insecurities about where they fit in their social network. And then he says this, think about this guys, social media has displaced other forms of interaction among teens. In other words, teens don't interact the way we did back when we were teenagers. He says, it puts the size of their friend group on public display and subjects their physical appearance to the hard metric of likes and comment counts. And he says, the heart of all of this is comparison. A person comparing themselves with all the other teenagers that are out there. And I'm sure it happens also with adults. And then you have the issue of envy and jealousy, third thing up on the board. You know that envy is one of the said, dev- said de- seven, excuse me, deadly sins. Envy is one of the seven deadly sins, and if it's ca- and they're called deadly because that's what they are. And it does so much damage, again, because most people are not aware of it going on in their lives. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with envy and jealousy? How do we deal with the issue of... How do we deal with all this up on the board there? Well, I don't know how many of you remember this, but we talked about this back when we were um, studying the book of Philippians and you may remember some of this, but this is so important, guys. We said, we concluded from Paul's words in Philippians, that if you want to use this word, the solution to dealing with all of this up on the board is contentment, is contentment. Remember what John Cheever said, the problem with the adult American who has everything is disappointment and discontentment? The solution is finding contentment in life. Think about it. When I'm content with who I am as a man, when I'm content with what I have, when I'm content with my position in life, I'll not be envious of what someone else has. I won't always be comparing myself. I won't be worrying about the approval of man. Do you remember what Paul said? I'm going to stop for a second here. My phone's making a lot of noise. I'm going to turn that off. Sorry about that. Do you remember Philippians 4, 11, and 12? You remember what Paul says? It's really great words. He says, not that I speak from want. I've learned the secret of being content in whatever circumstances I'm in. He goes on to say, I know how to get along with humble means. <clears throat> I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. He said, I've learned the secret of being content. And we considered four things in the book of Philippians that Paul had learned. And those th- four f- things he had learned real briefly are one, he, he says, contentment is not found in possessions, in what you own. And he says that right in those words that I just read to you. He says, I'm content whether I have plenty Or if I'm in want. In other words, he's saying, if I have an abundant, I can be content. If I have very little, I can be content. And he can say that, guys, because he wrote the letter to the Philippians from prison. And he's saying, I've learned the secret of being content. Second, as a Pharisee, he knew the Old Testament scriptures well. Did he not? He knew Jeremiah 29 11. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. He knew Isaiah 25-1, where, where God talks about plans for your life that were formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. Paul knew that God had a plan for his life. He knew God was sovereign over his life. He knew that the good hand of God had him in that prison right there. For a reason. You remember we talked about those reasons. He says God's using me even here in prison. He says you know. Because the whole praetorian guard. One at a time. Are chained to me. For a period of time. And then another one comes. And then another one comes. And 24-7. I'm chained to a Roman guard. And guess what. Many are coming to Christ because of that. I mean Guys. Can you imagine being one of these tough praetorian guards and you're chained to the Apostle Paul for five or six hours? He would wear them out with the gospel, I guarantee you. So Paul basically believed that the good hand of God had him right where he wanted him to be, and that was in this prison. And he was content there. Third thing we learned in Philippians is that Paul realized that he was very wealthy in the things that counted. You remember in, in Philippians 3.8, he says, you know, he, he was once a wealthy Pharisee. He had great prestige. He was important. And he was, a, he was a real famous guy. Saul of Tarsus. He says, but when I became a Christian, he says, I lost all of it. And he says, I count everything that I lost was rubbish when you compare it to the incredible value and wealth that comes from knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, Philippians 3.8. So Paul saw himself, I'm a wealthy man, I've got the true wealth. Remember he says that over in 2 Corinthians 6.10, he says, you know, I make many people rich. He says, though I have nothing, in reality I possess all things, I possess all things that really matter. Finally, fourth thing Paul had learned, to be content. And I think, guys, this is a real biggie, particularly for us at the stage in life where we are, the age that we are, is that uh, he was content because he was delivered from the fear of death. He says that in, in Philippians 1. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, I'm hard-pressed. He says, I, you know, I, I, I desire to stay, to be used by God, but he said, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ because that is so much better. You remember Hebrews 2.15? One of the Jesus, reasons Jesus came into the world was to deliver us from the fear of death, which he says, if we're not delivered from the fear of death, we will be slaves to the fear of death all of our lives. And so, there's that word fear again. God wants to deliver us from the fear of death. Because without that, without that deliverance, we can't be content. Now, just a comment on this final issue uh, about, was somebody going to say something on Zoom? Pleasure when others fail. R.C. Sproul says the way to determine if you are content and that you have a healthy soul, he says, if someone in your sphere of influence prospers, you rejoice with them. If they falter and fall on their faces, you hurt for them. You have compassion on them. And the best thing we can do often is reach out to them. But the question I want to leave you with is this. Are you content in your life? Paul has revealed the secret of finding it. And the foundation, I believe, of contentment, He tells us this, guys, is found in our relationship with Christ and the strength that He gives us. He enables us to be content. And you know the reason we know this? I read to you Philippians 4, 11 and 12 about learning the secret of being content. What I didn't mention was the next verse, verse 13 a very significant verse. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is the source of strength, guys. Uh, he is the source of, of, of life. He's the source of contentment. And so we need to look to Him to find that contentment because once we find contentment we'll be delivered from all of this. We'll be delivered from what we read in Galatians 1.10. We won't live for the approval of men. We will live for the approval of God. You've been listening to the Reliable Truth Podcast with Richard E. Simmons III founding director of the Center for Executive Leadership in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources, please visit our website at www.richardesimmons3.com or by email to Richard at richardesimmons3.com.